Well, the fielder's choice this morning as to where you want to look. Do you want to look in the Pew Bible at the English Standard Version? Do you want to look in the bulletin at the New King James Version? Do you have your own Bible with you this morning? We're studying the distinction together over time. I'll be preaching this morning on the Isaiah text from the New King James. So if you're using the bulletin, you'll be in line with me. If you'd like to go to your Pew Bible, you certainly can find it on page 624. And you'll see that this is at the end of the book of Isaiah. And today for Christ the King Sunday, in our celebration of the coming end of the world, the day of the Lord, we're going to look at this text in some detail. And I really hope also... Uh, dance to that First Thessalonians text a little bit, because there really is a lot of fear and hope together in that text. And indeed, in some ways, hope and fear, they, they can't be separated. They really can't. Who, who hopes for what he has, right? So uh, we'll get into that a little bit here under the theme again of watch, and that this is good news, that Christ our King is coming. All right, so one more piece of prequel here. Most people think that Christianity is about how when you die, you go to heaven if you believe in Jesus and you go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. And they're mostly right. Like that's 80% right. It's just, there's more. There's more, right? And that the word hell actually maybe better means where you go after judgment day and you just kind of I don't really know. It's not good. It's bad. They call it Sheol, and it never gets expanded on from that, okay, where you go if you're not in Christ. But when you die in Christ, you're with Christ. You're at rest in Christ. He's in heaven, so you're in heaven. But he's coming again to put an end to this earth, and he says, look, it's going to create a new heaven, too. And they put it plural here in the English for you. I don't know why they chose to do that there and not everywhere else. The word heaven is always plural in Hebrew. Always. There's no such thing as a singular heaven in Hebrew. So the heavens, right? I create a new heavens, new earth. What this is to say is that on the day of us seeing Jesus the King face to face again with chariots of fire and angels and we get to rise from the dead and have all of our wounds turned into some kind of glory, on that amazing day, he will wipe out everything in this space with fire and make a brand new everything. Time, space, universe, what word would you like to use? Cosmos, world, they all kind of work, right? But that shift, that transition is coming. And here's the best part of this. It's already here now in your soul. You're firstborn in your soul because you see it, you believe it, you know it. Nobody else does. All right, so there's something special about that in you. The new heavens and the new earth are the body of Christ himself already. And again, you're going to eat him later today. So this isn't just kind of fuzzy talk about ideas. This is tangible reality if you believe in the incarnation and the holy sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which they go together. But now to the text, okay? That's my prequel, to the text. Verse 17 of Isaiah 65 says, For behold, which in, in uh, the Hebrew just means like, look, look, pay attention now, something special. I 
create, okay, well, that's like the first word of Genesis right there, right? Almost. as a first word for us, but it, it is a primary idea here. So he doesn't do this all the time, create. He did it once before. Now, I create new heavens and a new earth. I just talked about it, the whole cosmos, everything. This planet, which is the center of the universe spiritually, whether or not cosmologically and mathematically you can even talk about that, well, we'll leave that for another time. Do believe you live at the center of the universe. Jesus died and rose here. Nothing matters more. <laughs> yeah, uh, but a new one's coming. This one's going away. The former, this one, shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Uh, you know, that's interesting um, in that, you know, John will say in Revelation that the smoke of her fire will go up forever, forever, and that we'll walk by it and kind of rejoice. Oh, look, the fires of hell. Hallelujah. So somewhere between those two passages, both of these prophets are trying to give us a glimpse of what we cannot imagine, which is perfection. A world without shame a world where all fear is directed to righteousness and feels really good. A world where pain is actually kind of like, all right, I'll take a little, give me some. If that's what today is, more, Jesus, please, let's climb mountains and things, right? Uh, that world is coming and you won't look back at this world and want to be here or regret having been here. Whatever echo shows forth in the scars of Christ's own hands that we can't forget what he did, right? <laughs> um, it will all be joy. It will all be joy. And that, that's what he's getting at through this whole thing. And we're going to run into one other little passage that's going to be like, ah, that's weird. And, and again, if you understand, he's trying to paint a picture of what we can't imagine. And so just let it be that good. And then don't worry about like the nitpicking that the scoffer and the skeptic of the modern mind can do to it. Because we can't. We can nitpick everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all a dream, and are we even here? You know, we just call it, right? Um, but <laughs> verse 18, uh, be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. So right now, already, you may know that what is coming is better. What is coming is better. I don't know how many of you know, uh, I don't want to say his name is online, but you do know uh, a gentleman named Tim, older gentleman, longtime member, uh, loves his Packers. Maybe that fills you in. I know he comes Saturdays normally. And, and he's always a little concerned about the goings-on on the planet. And I am too. Honestly, I, I pay attention enough to be concerned about the goings-on on the planet. And uh, last night we commiserated like, like brothers at a bar almost over like if the man pushes the button and all it goes up in fire. And, and the joy of it was uh, immediately, if it all goes up in fire, like we're in heaven, man. Like it's better that way. This is good, what's coming. Death is rest, and everything else is life growing. Huh? How bad could it be even today if they crucify it? That's what he thought. That's what he knew. That's why he did it for us. Yeah. I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing. Jerusalem in this text is just a, a key word for heaven, right? It means where mankind will live near God. Uh, and imagining it as a city is my favorite way to do it. The prophets do it all the time. 
Um, I'm just not going to be legalistic about the way I imagine things I can't understand, like paradise. Right? Uh, but, but I'll certainly share it with you. And I think uh, that's what J.R.R. Tolkien is doing when he writes in The Lord of the Rings about the city of Gondor. If you would like to see an imagination of what the return of the king looks like, there's a book called The Return of the King, and it's fantasy, but it's it's about, oh, wow, the king with healing in his hands. Whoa. I mean, that's, that's that story and this story, and that's why The Lord of the Rings has endured, is it's it's a confession of Christ as a parable, right, in many ways. But even so, so Jerusalem here, the city, is where we're going. What's the perfect city to you? What does it look like? What would the streets be like? You know, where would you walk or would you drive? I mean, just let it be good in your imagination for a moment, right? That that's what's coming. Nothing's getting lost here, not for us. Uh, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. That is the pleasure of God just gonna be poured out upon us. Joy in my people. That is, he's gonna comfort us to all end. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And if you've shed tears, you know. And if you refuse to shed tears, you kind of know too, <laughs> right? Uh, tears are necessary for dealing with the chemistry of our terrifying lives. Uh, they are a release within the endocrine system of your body to allow adrenal systems to reset after fight or flight. Uh, you know, so it's important that we cry, actually, as humans, and, and Jesus did weep, um, but it's going to go away. And, that, and if you've cried enough, you're kind of like, all right, sure. I get the bittersweet of cry, Jesus. It's good. And we should do it together here. But the day that's coming, no bittersweet crying. Just sweet song. Just sweet, sweet song. That's the jump he's trying to get us to imagine, okay? I, I don't know. Will there be tears in heaven? If Jesus gives us holy tears in like the three billionth year and they do a new thing, I'm not going to say, well, you said, <laughs> you know, it's not what this is here for, right? Um, this is here to inspire us. Um, the next section is where it will get a little, uh, what's going on? Uh, so now we just told we're never going to cry. So no more shall an infant from their live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. That sounds good. But then, for the child shall die 100 years old, and the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. I thought death got conquered, you know, <laughs> right? It's like, wait a minute here. So, so my baby's going to die at 100 instead of at, you know, three months or a year and a half, right? How is that, how's that better? And, you know, the old man will, will, will finally die, you know? Um, and then we have the sinner. How's the sinner even there? And that, I mean, we're in paradise, right? Why is there a sinner? I thought we couldn't fall after this, right? So you can get into all sorts of trouble with this verse. And let me first off say, this verse is confusing as get up in Hebrew. And so don't put too much on it in English, all right? Um, and I'll give you a couple answers here um, that you can take. Uh, I think I have three of them, if I can, again, remember all my notes. But uh, the, the real thing to do here is to remember we have a principle as, as Lutherans. And our principles are there because they're wisdom that work. And one of our principles, Scripture interprets Scripture, Right? Uh, a sub thought within scripture, interpreting scripture, is that you let what is clear tell you about what is unclear. 
You don't go to the unclear and then get rid of all the clear stuff with it. Right? That would be stupid. <laughs> That's what a lot of preachers do, by the way. You got to listen carefully. It's go with context. Go through line by line, not one verse here, one verse there. Right? Dangerous stuff when they start doing that. Again, so uh, what could you do with these verses, in fact? You know, golly, some real damage if you wanted to be evil about it, I think. So, okay, what, what do we make of it? Kyle and Dalich, my favorite German 18th century commentators, they're, they're, gr they're great usually on explaining precisely this kind of thing. They say what I just said a few moments ago. This is trying to break your imagination and get you to admit you can't imagine it. And it's doing it by saying, like, the baby will be 100. You'll have a baby for 100 years, right? Like on that point alone, you should just turn off like, I don't, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, it's beyond what I can see. And it's not trying to say that they're all going to die. In many ways, the, the part about the sinner never getting older than a baby means there's going to be no sinners there. So in our English, it's like the opposite of what Kyle and Dielich say the Hebrew says. I'm not saying that made it easy. Okay. I'm saying that's their answer. Um, now, I had a second answer off the top of my head last night. I didn't write it down, so it may not come back to me. Um, I'll just have to give you uh, my own answer that I found while digging. But I, I will tell you, this is just like Pastor Jonathan, literally. Like, not even, don't put Fisk on this yet. This is just like what I was thinking about as I was reading the Hebrew this week and trying to figure out another answer because I'm not particularly satisfied with Kyle and Dalich's answer. I'm okay letting it be confusing and moving on, but if I can find an answer, I will. So, so I jumped into the, the Hebrew, and what I found is that, I mean, you can see it in the King James even a little bit here, where live but a few. Do you see how that's italicized in the King James? I don't believe it is in the ESV. Um, those, that means that, that that's an editor's insertion. Right? That there's no Hebrew for those words. It's not there at all. It might be in the previous verse, like th whatever the previous verse was talking about, they might the, pull that down to this verse, and that makes sense, and I don't think it's wrong. I don't know that it's wrong not to italicize it anyway. The whole debate about translations and copyright is uh, for another time, um, but do see this then. It, it kind of just reads, no more shall an infant from their days. Now, what does that mean? nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days more straight, but then for the child shall die 100 years old. The Hebrew is literally for the son of the 100th year, the child, excuse me, the child of the 100th year shall die. Let me say it one more time. Literally, the child of the 100th year shall die and the sinner of the 100th year shall be cursed. Now, that sounds kind of cosmic to me. I'm, I'm a little into Hebrew numerology. Seven's important. Ten's not as common for making kind of predictions, but we're talking about new creation here. And, and so the idea that the child of the 100th year is just like a way of talking about Jesus as the cosmic king of everything, I like that, honestly. It's a very Lutheran thing of me to do, by the way, to see Jesus right here. <laughs> oh, it's Jesus. Look in the text. It's a prophecy about Jesus that no one's ever thought was about Jesus before. So that's where you got to leave it at that. It's just kind of my opinion, very much, okay? And I could be wrong about Hebrew numbers and the way they count years for children. I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't studied that carefully enough. Hebrew's complicated. But if it helps you when you come to this, to be like, okay, this text is one of the unclear ones. It's supposed to help my imagination grow. And ah, 
it grew enough for me to see this could be all about Jesus after all, which is what we know to be true from all the clear texts. And then you go on with the rest of what's very obviously good news, that we're going to, verse 21, build houses and inhabit them. What a nice thought. I like buying houses. I, I have not disenjoyed the process of looking at a home and moving into one. Um, you know, I don't like everything about the process, and I don't know that anyone does, except maybe those who make a living on it. And even they, I'm sure, have typos and thorns and all sorts of stuff to deal with. I don't know that building houses is even possible right now unless you've got a certain kind of equity. Building houses used to be what every young boy kind of just had to do around age 16. Once upon a time, you imagine what a world that was like. I'm not saying it was easy or we should go back to it. I'm just saying there's something about building your own and using it that is good. If you have a hobby, you know. Yeah. And that's what life will be. It's not like it's all gone, it's just like it's all getting better. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And don't forget what you make out of grapes, it's not just vinegar. Right? They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Just think of taxes if you don't know what to think of. <laughs> Just think of taxes. I don't care who's taxing you. Yeah? Um, you work, you have, they take. They say it's for your good. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. The whole point is where we're going. The king's not going to take, he's going to give. What a world. What a world. For as the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. I've, I've wondered at times about the blood from Jesus' hands on the nails, in the wood, on the tree. It's where medieval reliquary nut stuff goes on. You'll get a piece of a cross. You're going to pray to it, do magic, right? I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm a Lutheran again. Uh, but I've wondered at times about Jesus' love for trees because he clearly does. They're right there in Genesis from the start. He dies on a dead one. And then he promises the tree of life will be what we eat from forever. And we sing a song about how that's the fruit of his own veins, poured from the tree, water, blood, spirit, crying. I mean, it's just beautiful, right? The tree of the cross, let the fruit on you be better than any other flower ever. We sing about it. And so when it says, it's the days of a tree shall my people be, I don't think we're going to walk around like ants. Again, you know, there's another Tolkien reference. <laughs> you know, uh, wood, wooden people, you know. Um, but, but look at what trees do. Look at how they live. Are they worried about it? Is there really an end? Like, are they, are, is death haunting them or something? I mean, there are things that kill trees. Ask, ask Mike Wilber. <laughs> ask our friend. <laughs> He'll tell you about the trees. Uh, but they live past us. And their way of producing fruit is just what they do. So again, this is all about us being restored to, not like we're not going to be trees, but humans as we're supposed to be. As God intends us to live. My elect, he says, we could spend a lot of time on election. We won't today. But my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Again, to see that your hands are God's gift to you. And in this age, other men will come and try to make you use your hands for them. And I don't just mean, you know, in families, but that, that too, like that's how it always is. There's an authority and the authority says your hands now this way. And, and duty is to do with your hands what the authority says to do. Right? But then your hands are, are meant to be after the tax of life 
and thorns and thistles is taken from you, your hands are meant to be a gift to you, that you would find something to do with them. And I, I, you know, I, I don't mean like you have to be the craftsman. Uh, I know a number of you knit, right? Not, not my cup of tea, but like it is for many, right? And, and to believe there's nothing wrong with this, that this is the gift of God to your day, yeah? To know your hands can act and be. You're not just a spirit inside a robot. Right? You're, you're, you're here. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain. Or, you know, so Ecclesiastes you know, passes on, right? Nor bring forth children for trouble. Now you got to run that through Jesus saying we're not going to bear children in those days. And we'll leave that, you know, reconciliation for another time. Uh, but they shall be the descendants of the blessed of Jesus Christ. I mean, just here it is the name of Jesus on you right now. If you are in Jesus Christ, then this is about you. If you hope in Jesus Christ at all, this is about you. If you've ever confessed his name and you want him to be your savior, this is about you. It's not a maybe. I just said election a moment ago, and we're not going to debate the how and the why, but the end all of it is you don't get a choice. <laughs> he chose you, and he still will. He's calling, gathering, enlightening you. Huh? Uh, and you will, therefore, not bring forth trouble. Right? You'll be the descendants of Jesus, your children with you. Now, as Peter preaches at Pentecost, this is a promise for offspring and generations to go. The loss of families to the church is not normal in history. That it happened a lot in the last hundred years is a reason to ask a lot of very careful questions, in my opinion. Uh, but that said, again, the promises are for passing on. They're for giving down because they're more powerful than the things of this age. They will last longer than the things of this age. Um, and uh, uh, verse 24 um, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Okay, so right there, I want to rewind a little bit and reemphasize that all of this is here already in your soul, in your faith. Okay. Through your trust in Jesus Christ, this new heavens and new earth is already here. So it's not just that in paradise, when you call, he will answer. Although I do like the idea of, may I have a cup of coffee, oh, plant machine of coffee making, and the creation brings it forth that moment. I mean, that's a great idea. I love that. I call to God through the creation because that's the way we're made to exist. Great. That's the future. Whatever. Imagine it, yeah? But right now, it's, it's true right now that before you go, Jesus, he's already like sending the answer. Been sent long time ago. You might just turn around and have somebody standing there talk to you. I, I, it has happened <laughs> to me. You know, not a lot, but eh, enough. Enough that it's worth calling upon the name of Jesus because, in fact, in this age, the kingdom has already begun. The new heavens and the earth are breaking in, or maybe we could say we are breaking out, and, and we're taking our children with us through the precious name of Jesus. To a place where, again, in, can you imagine it? The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says Jesus. Pictures meant to tell you you can't really imagine it. And someone will have to say, but I can. 
I can see a lion and a lamb laying down. Uh, you've been raised in a world of talking pictures where we can fake everything. But I, I don't think you really can imagine being within five feet of a wolf and five feet of a lamb. I don't think you can imagine being within five feet of a wolf. Unless you've been within five feet of a very large dog that's being aggressive. I don't think you can imagine it. Just because you saw some picture somewhere. Right. So again, this is breaking our heads is what the text is supposed to do. A lion with a lamb, like the hay. It's going to eat grass. Now, go back to Genesis, you can see it's kind of, kind of how things were, uh, not how things are now, right? Things have changed since Genesis. But the promise is that there will be no hurt. I like that word. Because I think pain's going to be there. I'm pretty sure pain and pleasure are like, if you look at the science of how your nerves work, if you get rid of the pain in your body, you will feel nothing. Okay, so, so pain and pleasure are like the same emotion on a spectrum, uh, physically. So, but, but hurt, as an English word, it captures something the word pain doesn't quite capture, doesn't it? It's a little deeper than pain, really. It stays with you even after the pain's gone in some ways. And that's the distinction, right? So that where we're going, there's no hurt. It's always, it's always good where we're headed. And that's why then, First Thessalonians, and feel free to, to hop wherever you want to hop to continue on, page 987 or otherwise. First Thessalonians uh, begins by encouraging us to remember these times, right? This is what's coming. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, verse 1, you have no need that I should write for you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So, so right there, everything I just said is kind of like, oh, we assume this, and you're not going to see it coming. Whatever's going on on the news cycle, whatever the local cable networks are saying, whatever, whoever the great man that is next going to ruin or make everything work is, we're not going to see the snap of the end of time coming. And it helps to remember this principle of refraction or echo, that what God does big, he tends to do small too. And so rather than think about, well, let's see, at the end of the world, is it coming? Let's just talk about, you're not going to see your death coming. Really not. Even if you're lying in the deathbed, you're not going to know when the last breath is. You don't know when the day of Jesus comes for you. And this applies then, therefore, to cities, counties as well, when they rise and fall, all this kind of a normal pattern of history that we see in the Old Testament and it's prophesied in the New Testament to continue with the kingdom of God, like an ark, like a ship going underneath all these kingdoms of man that rise and fall. Yeah. Uh, that day of the Lord, uh, it is the ending, which we always fear. And whenever you find that fear, then that's the time to encourage yourself with the knowledge that even the end is only the beginning that nothing you lose in this life is not restored. That really the best thing that could happen is he does come back and it's all over. And so if he does that just for you today, everyone else gets to mourn and that's worse for them. It actually is sad for us today if you die, but guess what? It's still better for you. And we should kind of like not be all, you know, grumpy about that, I think, you know? So especially because the rest of the world is chasing after the false peace. When they say peace and safety, that's a throwback to Isaiah talk. You know, peace, peace, there is no peace. Uh, the liars who are trying to make promises about all the good things that will happen because of what they will do to fix, you fill in the blank. 
Uh, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And nations don't know when they rise. They don't know when they fall. Uh, they shall not escape. Well, this is about hell, remember, too. This is about the unbeliever in his life. He will go on living in his wicked works, thinking he has escaped all the way down to the day he dies and faces it. And the scales will tip against him, and he will wish he had repented when he heard. Right, that's, that's all true still, right? Not you, but it is people. People out there, the darkness they're in. So let us not sleep, verse 6 says, right? So like, like don't, don't forget that. <laughs> it's imperative, really. Um, don't sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. And here's sober a word for just kind of reservedly minded or maybe not in a hurry, all right? Why would a drunk slur his words? What is his drunkenness about? It's about the loss of his control. So what's here, he's going to talk about drinking for real in a moment, but this is not a reference to drinking. This is a reference to self-control over your own mind. Right? Let us be sober, he says, and watch. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So here he's kind of making a metaphor about sleep and drunkenness as not preferable to being awake and aware of what you're doing. Think, you know, as a parable, that works, right? Um, but let us who are of the day, now he's distinguishing us as the elect of God, as just sober, that's who we're going to be, put on the breastplate of trust, faith, and love, right? So that what does sobriety for the Christian in the morning mean? Uh, it means that he remembers his God is for him, not against him, that you may trust in God and therefore remember he loves you. And then ask him to show you. And then ask him to show you by showing you how it really is about everybody else. Like, if you want God to just love you while you sit there, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, what he'll do is he'll send you to love others, and amazingly, love happens. Faith and love is a breastplate, helmet, hope of the future, looking forward to where we're going. For God did not appoint us to wrath. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't scary, really. It's hope. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, and here I think he mixes his metaphors and is referring to death. Right? So whether people have fallen asleep in Christ and are dead, or whether they are awake and with us now waiting for the Lord, we should live together with him. We're alive right now in Christ. When we die, we fall asleep in Christ. We're alive in Christ. Still, we don't die. Our bodies die. Our souls do not. Our spirits do not. He takes them to himself. And so we are alive in Christ forever. When we get our bodies back, it's just more life from there. And whatever the wolf and the lamb and the child of the hundredth year and all that means, Jesus got it figured out and it's going to come to completion. The New Testament is pretty clear. Love each other and watch. In the name of Jesus, amen.